0: Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. My name's James Morrison, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing and Global Impact Venturing Publications. Great pleasure once again to be back with Thierry Harris. Welcome Thierry, how are you?
1: Hello Jim, I'm good today. I am just about to have a week off, so this is it for me for two weeks on the podcast. But uh, yeah, <laughs> how are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's just started raining
1: a little bit, so there might be a bit of
0: background noise, but uh, yeah, no, it's all right on this end. But uh, what's uh, what have been the big stories in the past week? What's caught your eye, Terry?
1: Well, the biggest one, and there are quite a lot of big, big ones this week. Waymo, the autonomous driving technology developer spun off by Alphabet, has raised $2.5 billion in funding from investors, including its former parent company. Autonation and Magna International also took part in the round, as did Fidelity Management and Research, Mubadala, Tamasek, Andreessen Horowitz, Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, Perry Creek Capital, Silver Lake, Tiger Global Management and funds and accounts advised by T. Rowe Price. The company reportedly closed its first external round in July 2020 at $3.2 billion and a $30 billion valuation, having pulled in $750 million from investors including Fidelity, Perry Creek Capital and funds and accounts advised by T. Rowe Price two months earlier. Alphabet Magna Autonation, Silver Lake, Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, Mubadala Investment Company, and Adriesen Horowitz all supplied $2.25 billion for Waymo in March that same year.
0: Well, that is a big old round, isn't it? So um you know, there's obviously Alphabet, better known for running Google as a search engine, sort of has been using sort of corporate venturing strategies or Inside out strategies to develop different technologies. Calico being in life sciences and Waymo, another in autonomous driving. The fact that they've then spun it off to raise third-party capital just shows potentially how expensive these sorts of technologies can be to develop to really sort of, you know, full level five sort of autonomous capabilities. So you know, autonomous isn't short of cash on its balance sheet, but the fact that it's bringing in other strategic and financial investors. To help it indicates, I think part of what the what it what the challenges is it's it's bringing together some different skill sets to really develop something that could uh, obviously be transformative to the sort of whole of the driving city landscape if they get it right. So there are others out there. Obviously, we've seen um, sort of Waymo being one, but uh, there are a number of the sort of autonomous driving technologies which have been under development. General Motors has owned one, and similarly spun it out to raise third-party capital as well. Uber was developing its own technology. But I think a lot of people are keeping an eye on one that hasn't really made many waves so far, which is Apple. Certainly from the Western point of view, obviously in China, Didi Shuxing and a whole host of different technologies are coming in. But from a Western point of view, uh, Apple's sort of will they, won't they, what are they developing in terms of cars and autonomous driving electric vehicles, I think is keeping everyone, uh, keeping everyone guessing. But Money in the bank and development accounts for a lot. So um, Waymo, congratulations to him. Yeah, yeah, certainly.
1: I uh, Personally, I will wait for the Apple Car 2. I, uh, I try not to buy the first product. <laughs> <laughs> but you think
0: if you buy one of the first ones, then just think of the resale value. You know, it be a collector's item potentially,
1: Jerry. That is very true, actually. Yes, I have a friend who owns one of the original Macintoshes. And yeah, th- those things are worth a lot of money today. Well, we also have a fairly big fund, although nothing quite like the 2500000000 billion. US-based venture capital firm G2 Venture Partners, or G2VP, has closed its fund too at $500 million with commitments from Shell, Mitsui, Daimler and ABB Switzerland. The McKnight Foundation and John Doe, the chairman of VC firm Kleiner Perkins, also committed to the fund, a spokesperson told TechCrunch. Shell contributed through Shell Ventures, and it was also a limited partner in G2VP's inaugural fund, which was sized at three hundred and fifty million dollars. G2VP was founded in twenty seventeen as a spin-off from Kleiner Perkins' Green Growth Fund, which focuses on companies developing emerging technologies that could accelerate sustainable transformation in traditional industries.
0: Yeah, I mean great uh, for G2 in terms of raising a good second fund. It just shows the sort of the difference a decade makes, doesn't it, really? I you know, back in the sort of first Clean tech growth wave, the sort of bubble period, a lot of venture firms, you know, were really sort of focusing a lot of capital on the clean tech or sustainability sort of companies, you know, before 2008 and the sort of global financial crisis, you know, really brought that to a close. A lot of venture firms basically moved away and spent the next decade, rightly or not really, focusing on some of the digital and sort of consumer technologies, basically things focused around. Well, Apple's iPhone, you know, in sort of the mobile and data industry. So clean tech was seen as uh, too difficult, really. It was uh, difficult to scale up beyond a pilot. It was taking a lot of capital back when venture firms weren't necessarily raising a lot of big funds. And obviously it wasn't necessarily sure where the exits were coming from and hence the returns. So a lot of the venture firms which had seen in the early part of the 2000s green and clean tech as the next wave, after the sort of dot-com bubble burst kind of uh, licked their wounds and sort of disappeared but i think if you look at some of the stats if you know, there was something like 20 or 30 billion or so invested in clean tech in that decade those portfolio companies that are still around will be worth somewhere north of two to three hundred billion dollars now you know and actually the difference being able to raise g2 raise a second fund is because now a lot more people are saying we have to scale up you know and so, anything that can be sustainable, clean tech focused will be useful. The fact that G2 has such great corporate limited partners and buying from groups like Shell, being a strong believer, I think is really important. I think it just a, shows the difference. Like with a lot of things, you could be wrong by being too early as well as by being too late. In this case, G2 has stayed a course, dealt with the headwinds, and now it's got a massive tailwind behind it. So, uh, good to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely one to. Uh... To keep an eye on going forward well we also have a lot of ipos a lot of very big ipos this week the biggest one was Marquetta, which is a us-based card issuing platform developer backed by Commerzbank, bank credit ease visa and mastercard which has closed its initial public offering at approximately 1.41 billion dollars the company had raised an initial 1.22 billion dollars in the offering a week ago issuing 45.5 million Class A shares on the Nasdaq Global Select market, priced at $27 each. Its shares are currently, that's Friday afternoon UK time, trading for $29.43 each. And the underwriters have taken up the option to buy more than 6.8 million additional shares. The IPO followed more than $526 million in funding for the company.
0: Well, it's definitely a risk-on period of time, particularly in the fintech space and in
1: societies and
0: finance generally at the moment, and Marketa, the fact that it's been backed by Visa and Mastercard, the two big payment card providers in the Western world, I think is really interesting, you know, the fact that then it can go to the IPO to effectively create a sort of an alternative way. I think it's really interesting but there is a huge ton of interest when it comes to anything around fintech at the moment i mean obviously things with the blockchain but obviously nfts or non-fungible tokens we've got a whole host of different things around sort of cryptocurrencies but fundamentally in financial services the sort of real excitement comes if you can develop different way or different rails to move the money around and connect stuff up and uh, Marquetta looks like being one of those that could uh, help move more money around. So uh, if they can get it right in a way that sort of Visa and Mastercard are obviously taking a punt that they can be uh, influential in that way, I think it'd be good. But it'll be a fascinating fly on the wall for the company just uh, trying to grapple with uh, you know with such a sort of powerful group of investors in this regard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of um, moving money around, Wise, which used to be known as TransferWise, has also Well, they're going for a direct listing, and we'll have more on that in a second, but they're looking to list on the London Stock Exchange, so that's another one that could potentially become worth a lot of money. I think they were well at $5 in the secondary transaction last year, so yeah. It's a stun machine, isn't it? It really is. Well, I don't have a crossover for you this week, although there actually were several worth more than a $100 million this week. People can find those on our websites, of course. Uh, But this one's interesting, and too interesting actually, to skip because Salonis, a Germany-based business process analytics software spin-out of Technical University of Munich, has raised a billion dollars in a Series D round co-led by Durable Capital Partners and funds and accounts advised by T. Rowe Price Associates. What makes this one special isn't so much the size of the round, as impressive as one billion dollars obviously is, but that it valued Salonis at $11 billion post-money, which makes it Germany's first Decacorn. Salonis has now raised nearly $1.37 billion in funding altogether, the spin-out fetched $2.5 billion valuation when it raised $290 million in a Series C round led by Arena Holdings, and almost as notable as being the first Decacorn in the country, It became TU Munich's first unicorn when it closed a $50 billion Series B round in June 2018. Pretty good for a European success story.
0: Definitely. Fascinating one to see. I mean, um, funny enough, Germany's been on a bit of a tear. You know, they've had a number of unicorns. I think they're up to more than a dozen now. Groups like N26 and WeFox, particularly in the past year, really started to raise big rounds at big valuations, which is obviously great for Europe's largest economy and um, as it happens also this week I think the UK has just passed a hundred companies at more than a billion dollar valuation obviously several of which are more than 10 billion valuation so you know there's a lot happening in Europe you know 80% of all the unicorns you know, more than 500 or so of them you know are in the US and China but the fact that places are able to globalize the capital to raise these big rounds T. Rowe price being a Sort of US mutual fund durable capital being sort of big international firm as well just shows that if there is an opportunity to either create a localized big platform or be able to create something that can sort of really expand globally, you know, such as business process analytics software, then, um, you know, then there's no shortage of capital for it. So I think we'll expect to see many more of these sort of companies go into being unicorns. One's worth private companies worth at least a billion. And then into the decacorns, the private companies worth at least $10 billion. So, uh, yeah, fascinating to see. Good for Germany. And, um, I think Europe as a whole is doing quite well. But I think the question is, is could it be enough? And I suppose for one question for you, Tierry, given this is a potential crossover, given, you know, technical university of Munich is how involved is, are the universities, you know, once they've been spun out of raising these big rounds of money, are they still sort of Keeping closer to the local region, is that still part of its their success story, these unicorns and decacorns?
1: I mean, it depends. TU Munich obviously is very active with its UVC partners, really big venture capital firm that's affiliated to its tech transfer office. I don't think they invested in this specific company, so they annoyingly missed out on this success story. But TU Munich specifically, they, they are very active in, in supporting the regional ecosystem, even across Bavaria. Generally speaking... I don't see too many universities investing directly. Hightech tech Gründerfonds tends to be the one that helps companies get early stage capital, which is obviously a big public private partnership in in Germany. But yeah, there's there's definitely a lack of university venture funds, or even multi university venture funds in in Germany, or even much of uh, much of continental Europe, really.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that might be a still a potential sort of roadblock. I think in the UK. I think part of the reason we've seen these sort of 100 plus companies worth at least a billion, you know, many of them have come out of universities. So the 100th one, for example, is an interesting example. It was backed, it was created through Entrepreneur First, which in effect took recent students or graduates and said, rather than go into a consultancy or a big corporation or whatever, we'll pair you together to create a company. And so this is Entrepreneur's First sort of unicorn company i forget the name catalan i think if memory serves which does sort of ai vision stuff to help insurers basically sort of process claims more quickly and accurately so it's an interesting company but it's come from sort of taking university graduates and saying we'll support you we'll help connect you up to other co-founders and then sort of help you develop the business so inside a decade to create a billion dollar valuation is great but I think you know being able to create that sort of support system around universities, whether it's a university venture fund directly in a way that you know or more indirectly but affiliated in a way to say entrepreneur first deals with some of the London universities like Imperial and u c l Cambridge innovation capital obviously supports the Cambridge ecosystem more broadly, not just the university, Oxford Science innovation, you know in terms of those coming out of sort of Oxford, they get a first right of refusal on some of those. And then SetSquared, which does a lot of the southwest, and now we're seeing other regional funds in a similar model in the Midlands and north of England as well. But SetSquared's a great example, you know, supports five, now six universities, including Cardiff, and I think they've had a couple of billion almost of investment in their sort of portfolio, and these companies are worth a huge amount, and particularly around the sort of you know, southwest of the UK so I think it, it really is a sort of an ecosystem approach but thinking through the university is great and we're obviously delighted and honoured that Set Squared, CIC and uh, OSI from Oxford and Cambridge are supporting the um, the next GCV symposium which will be in November so uh, hopefully we'll learn a little bit more how the corporates can come in connect and create this really sort of joined up ecosystem because it does require a village
1: yeah yeah I mean, I should say that, you know, th- these funds do exist in Europe. They're just... They're, there's a lot in Belgium for some reason. There's there's Cubic, there's Vives, there's Theodorus, which is actually expanded into Canada as well.
0: Didn't um, UV Leu- Leuven have one as well? They're over there, aren't they?
1: they? They don't have any that they raised themselves, but they've backed quite a few. They've backed the one from IMEC Expand. They've backed Vives. They've backed a few other VC funds that are not specifically from a university. So they're very active in the space. But yeah, it's and then, you know, places like Ireland have um, University Bridge Fund, which invests across the country. And it's backed by University College Dublin, Trinity College, and University College Cork now as well. So yeah, they, they, they are around. They just, they, they tend not to be, well, they certainly don't have the size of, of Oxford Sciences <laughs> Innovation, although I don't think anyone else has. And that's a scale that is very difficult to achieve. I, I mean, even the US doesn't have anything that's comparable. But, yeah, it's it, there's definitely room for growth, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I th- well, I think that's the great thing of you running
0: Global University Venture, area. It's just such a sort of interest and in ecosystem that's only grown more important uh, alongside, obviously, the corporates and the impact investment. So you managed to hit the sort of big button issues for what we think about those big stories. But what else has uh, caught you eye? Right? What would have been more than news and briefs, Jerry?
1: Well, the news and briefs, if, if we can not still call them that because they are all nine figures, China-based chipmaker Horizon Robotics has raised $1.5 billion in Series C7 funding from electronics parts manufacturer BOE Technology and chipmaker Will Semiconductor. The round was secured at a $5 billion valuation and it came after a $300 million Series C6 round at an unspecified date that included Legend Capital, Huangpu River Capital and unnamed others. And Bijus, an India based online learning portal backed by Bennett Coleman & Co., Naspers, and Tencent, has raised $340 million in funding. UBS Group, Blackstone, Abu Dhabi government backed ADQ, and Phoenix Rising Beacon Holdings, as well as private investor Eric Wan, all took part in the round. Cash injection is actually part of a bigger $1.5 billion fund raise that Bijus began raising in April this year. Source Private to the matter told the Economic Times and it valued the company at $16.5 billion post-money. US-based graph technology provider neo 4 j received $325 million in a Series F round featuring GV. Private equity firm Eurasio led the round at a valuation exceeding $2 billion, and DTCP, the investment firm backed by Deutsche Telekom, also took part, as did OnePeak, Creandum, Greenbridge Partners, and LightRock. The company was founded in 2007 as NeoTechnology and has now raised $515 million. Applyboard, the Canada-based international student facilitation service that counts educational services firm Educational Testing Service, or ETS, as an investor, has confirmed a $308 million Series D round. Ontario Teachers Pension Plan Board led the round through its Teachers Innovation Platform and it included Investment and Financial Services Group, Fidelity, in addition to BDC, Harmonic Growth Partners, Index Ventures, Garage Capital, and Blue Cloud Ventures. The company's confirmation came in the wake of media reports a week earlier, suggesting it had raised $230 million in the round, which is said now valued it at $3.2 billion post-money. And Chihaujou, the China-based automotive e-commerce marketplace backed by SoftBank, Tencent, and Shugang, has closed a $300 million round, valuing it at $10 billion. Age Capital led the round, which also featured Sequoia Capital China, IDG Capital and Chihauzhuo founder and CEO Yang Haoyong. The company's overall equity funding now stands at about $3.8 billion. It was spun off by online classified listings operator Ganji in 2015. And Thumbtack, the US-headquartered operator of a home renovation services marketplace, has raised $275 million from investors including Capital G, the growth equity arm of Alphabet. Sovereign Wealth Fund Qatar Investment Authority led the round, which also featured Blackstone's alternative asset management subsidiary G-Squared, Bailey Gifford, Founders Circle Capital, Sequoia Capital and Tiger Global Management. The round valued the company at $3.2 billion dollars and it boosted the company's overall funding to $697 million. And Yao Xibang, the China-based operator of a supply chain platform for the pharmaceutical industry, has raised $270 million in funding from investors including internet group Baidu, Zhejiang Pearl River Investment Management, Green Pine Capital Partners, and Guangzhou City Construction Investments SF Fund also participated in the round, along with unnamed insurance firms and sovereign wealth funds. It was facilitated by China Renaissance. Funds? Well, we have one from the university site here as well. Flagship Pioneering, a US-based biotechnology venture studio that regularly taps into university research to build companies such as Moderna, has raised another $2.23 billion for its Fund 7 from new and existing LPs, bringing the vehicle to $3.37 billion. It reopened the fund to additional capital in April, but didn't identify the LPs. Flagship now has $14.1 billion in assets under management and is operating with an aggregate capital pool of $6.7 billion. It's launched more than 100 ventures since its founding, with a current portfolio of 41 companies. Exits. We have UK-based clean aircraft developer Vertical Aerospace, which has agreed to a reverse takeover with special-purpose acquisition company Broadstone Acquisition Corporation, that will be backed by American Airlines, Avalon, Honeywell, Rolls-Royce, Standard Industries' 40 North vehicle and Microsoft's M12 unit. The merged business will be valued at $2.2 billion and will take up the listing on the New York Stock Exchange, secured by Broadstone through a $300 million IPO in September last year. In a China-based online job portal operator backed by Tencent and Sunshine Life, has floated in a $912 million initial public offering on the Nasdaq Global Select market. The company issued 48 billion American depository shares, each representing two ordinary shares, priced at the top of the IPO's $17 to $19 range. As we are recording this on Friday afternoon UK time, shares are going for $38 a pop. And Monday.com, the US-based software development platform operator that now counts Salesforce and Zoom as investors, and was spun out from VIX, has closed its initial public offering at $631 million. The corporates each purchased $75 million of shares in a private placement alongside the offering, which involved Bunday.com issuing an initial 3.7 million shares on the Nasdaq Global Select market a week ago, priced at $155 each. The underwriters subsequently took up the option to buy another 370,000 shares to close the offering. As we're recording this, shares are priced at $230.96. And Lyle Immunopharma, a US-based immunotherapy developer which counts GlaxoSmithKline and Celgene as investors, has raised $425 million in its initial public offering. The company issued 25 million shares on the Nasdaq global market at a price of $17 each, the midpoint of the offering's $16 to $18 range. Shares closed at $16.89 at the end of the first day. Lyle had raised $834 million across just three rounds since it was founded in 2018. GlaxoSmithKline has walked away with a 12.5% stake post-IPO, while Selgin's retained 4.5%. And Verve Therapeutics, a US-based cardiovascular disease therapy developer advancing Broad Institute at University of Pennsylvania Research, has gone public in a $267 million initial public offering representing exits for Alphabet and Novo. The offering consists of just over 14 million shares issued on the Nasdaq Global Select market, increased from $11.8 million and priced at $19 each, above the $16 to $18 range set for the offering. The IPO price valued the company at approximately $876 million. And as I said earlier, WISE, the UK-based operator of a cross-border capital transfer service, plans to launch a direct listing that would give conglomerate Mitsui a chance to sell its shares. The company hopes to list on the London Stock Exchange, formerly known as TransferWISE, WISE runs an online platform that allows users to send money internationally without paying exorbitant fees typically associated with bank transfers. Wise last raised primary funding in 2017, but was valued at $5 billion in a $319 million secondary share sale in July 2020. And finally, we have some people news for you this week as well. Raj Singh has joined real estate service provider JLL's corporate venturing subsidiary JLL Spark as managing partner, after five years as managing director at JetBlue's Technology Ventures. JLL established Spark in 2017 under co-CEOs Yishai Lerner and Mihir Shah, both then set up JLL Technologies as a business unit to offer property clients modern tech. Singh was a joint GCB Powerlist Award winner for 2020 at JetBlue Technology Ventures alongside Bonnie Simi, who has, of course, since joined portfolio company Joby. And Verizon Ventures, the corporate venturing arm of Verizon, has appointed Tom Arnest as a principal, the unit revealed this week. Arnest actually began working in the role last month and is responsible for executing and managing strategic investments on behalf of the corporate. He had previously been part of Verizon's corporate development team, where he was involved in merger and acquisition deals and strategic planning projects. Osei Van Horn has departed financial services firm Wells Fargo Strategic Investment Arm, Wells Fargo Strategic Capital, or WFSC, and joined US investment bank JP Morgan. Wells Fargo had hired Van Horn to lead WFSC in 2017 after a seven-year stint at investment banking firm Goldman Sachs Merchant Banking Group, participating in areas including private equity, venture capital and corporate development. And University of Chicago's Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation has appointed Chuck Valleparelli and Preeti Chalzani to serve as the inaugural senior director and deputy director, respectively, of its duality accelerator. Duality was launched in April this year as the first accelerator program in the US to focus exclusively on quantum technologies. Led by the Polski Center and Chicago Quantum Exchange, Duality's founding partners also include University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, Argonne National Laboratory, and P33, an organization focused on connecting stakeholders in Chicago's ecosystem to actors elsewhere. And finally, Institute of Science and Technology Austria, or IST Austria, has appointed one of its researchers, Professor Bernd Bickel as Vice President for Technology Transfer, effective September 1st. Pickel's appointment is expected to strengthen the Institute's tech transfer programs. It is a newly created position, as the Austria's commercialization operation is currently overseen by Markus Zufanko, head of tech transfer, who talked about his work on our other podcast, Talking Tech Transfer, earlier this year, and I highly recommend checking that out either in your favorite podcast app or on com slash tag slash podcast if you haven't yet.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for that, Thierry. And uh, enjoy your break. You'll be much missed, but obviously we'll welcome you back to the next podcast. It'll probably just be me next week, I suspect. But uh, enjoy your holiday and speak soon. Thank you, Jim. Thanks,
1: everyone. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review podcast. As always, these are only the top headlines from the past week. So do head on over to globalcorporateventuring.com globaluniversityventuring.com and globalimpactventuring.com to find everything else. And of course, do check back daily to stay on top of the news as it happens. I hope you enjoyed the episode and if this is your first time listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which we really appreciate because it helps us grow our audience. And don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues as well. Maybe even tweet out the episode or post about it on LinkedIn. Keep an eye out too on Wednesdays for our leadership series where we talk with thought leaders from all over the world to find out more about how they are supporting the innovation ecosystem. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at teheles at global That's T-H-E-L-E-S at global You can also tweet us at GC Venturing or GU Venturing. My name is Jerry Hillis. My co-host is Editor-in-Chief James Mawson. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. Do check him out on inearproduction.com for all your podcasting needs. Our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod under a Creative Commons license. We'll be back with more news next Monday. Have a productive week, everyone. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.